Well, what's up, Mount Joy? How y'all doing this morning? I'm going to just go ahead and forewarn you right now. I am uh, I'm, I'm energetic. I move a lot. Um, I, I like to, to, to talk with passion. And so uh, I, hope, I hope it's okay with you. But anyway, uh, I just want to say this, you know, um, can, can we just give it up for Pastor Carl? And I believe your wife is Anita. Is that correct? Pastor Carl and Anita. Can we just give them some honor real quick? <clears throat> pastoring this church, uh, I believe 11 years or somewhere around there now, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And can I just say this real quick? Uh, Y'all live in a beautiful place. Uh, I don't know if it has just kind of become uh, background to you, but, uh, but I come from flat grounds and sand, and, uh, and I landed in mountains, cold weather, and, uh, and, and it was very, very beautiful. And so uh, great, great spot, amazing place. And, uh, you know, like Pastor Carl said, I love to hunt. I'm from Louisiana, uh, so I grew up, I was born and raised in Louisiana. My family has a big ranch in South Texas, so if you ever want to go to South Texas for whitetail or really anything, we hunt it all, turkeys, whitetail, we hunt hogs and coyotes out of a helicopter. If you ever want to go on a helicopter hunt, uh, it is a lot of fun. Uh, You're strapped in and you feel like you're, you know, in the military, I don't know, flying through, just blowing stuff up, so it's pretty amazing. Uh, so if you are anything like my wife, um, you are anti-hunting. Um, she is like, no, don't you ever shoot the animals. I'm like, no, I will shoot the animals and we will eat the animals and you will thank me later. And she's like, okay, I guess that's correct. But, but uh, I love my, my wife very much. You know, she was actually going to be here with us today. But instead, I brought my daughter who is sitting right here, seven-year-old Talon, uh, who I love very much. It was her birthday the other day, and so for her birthday, she's never flown on a plane, so for her birthday, I took her to fly on a plane, and, uh, and she is here with me today, and I love it, love it, love it. And I, and I have a little picture of my family uh, real quick. I can give you, all, give you a little shout, a little show you real quick, but that's, that's my wife, Mariah, and my oldest son, Charlie, my youngest son, Jackson. There's Talon right there, and that is our newborn baby who is not newborn anymore. She's a year old. Uh, the pictures I had sent in yesterday, uh, they, they weren't coming through for some reason because um, I had some deer pictures and all kind of other things like that. So uh, maybe that's why they didn't come through. But this is my family, and, uh, and I love them, I love them, love them, love them. Well, uh, I, I, listen, like I said, I'm from Louisiana, and uh, if you know anything about Louisiana, um, you, you know that there's uh, uh, two guys there named Boudreaux and Thibodeau. Uh, if you don't know who Boudreaux and Thibodeau is, if you've ever seen Swamp People, anybody seen Swamp People? Come on, you know, chew them. That's Troy right there. Uh, he, he doesn't have a whole lot of teeth and he doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But that guy, I'm telling you right now, he's one of the richest men in South Louisiana and you would never know it. So if you don't know who Boudreaux and Thibodeau is, you think of Troy or you think of Waterboy. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you, you think of Waterboy. That's probably more along the lines of a Boudreaux Thibodeau. We got a little Boudreaux Thibodeau joke that I want to share with you to kind of break the ice a little bit. Uh, and, uh, you know, so Boudreaux, Boudreaux's driving down the road one day. I'll throw a little accent in for you. Boudreaux's driving down the road uh, one day and he gets pulled over because he's, he's driving under the influence. Police officer gets him out of the car and says, hey, Boudreaux, man, you drunk? And he says, no, sir, Mr. Officer, I'm not. And the officer says, well, uh, sorry, Boudreaux, I'm going to have to give you a breathalyzer test. And Boudreaux says, well, no, no, sir, Mr. Officer, I'm not going to be able to do that. He said, well, why not? He says, because I'm an asthmatic. I could die. 
He said, okay, Boudreaux, well, I'll tell you what, we're going to have to bring you into the station, and we're going to have to give you a blood test. He says, no, sir, Mr. Officer, I can't do that neither. He said, well, why not, Boudreaux? He says, because I'm a hemophiliac. If you take my blood, I could bleed out, I could die. So the officer looks at Boudreaux, and he says, okay, Boudreaux, well, I need you to get out of the car because uh, I need you to walk a, a straight line. And, and, and he gets out of the car, and he, he looks at the officer, and he says, no, sir, I can't do that neither. He said, well, why not, Boudreaux? He said, because I'm drunk. <laughs> Hey, we ain't smart, but we sure ain't stupid. You know what I mean? <laughs> hey, well, uh, I, I titled this message, if you're taking notes today, I titled this message, Rip the Roof Off. Come on, Rip the Roof Off. I think there's some seasons in our lives that we need to be able to begin to expose the things of God, and we need to begin to rip the things off so that God can begin to heal and use the things that we're dealing with. And I, and I, I want to just say real quick, I, I added two scriptures in here, so I want to give the, um, the production team a, a little break. Can we just give it up for the production team real quick? Because they, they do an amazing job, but they take a lot of heat because they have pastors like myself that just kind of throw things in last minute, and then you're like looking at the screen and thinking, man, where is this scripture? Are they dropping the ball? No, we dropped the ball, so they do an amazing job. I added two scriptures, one of them that I'm about to read to you right now. It's in Ephesians 6, 10 through 11. It says this. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Well, you know, growing up for me, uh, when I was growing up, I had a learning disability. I was dyslexic. I couldn't read very well. Um, you know, I, it was hard for me to take tests and different things like that. And, and I don't know what it was. I think the teacher maybe had it out for me, probably because I had it out for her. But, but for whatever reason, I would be uh, in the classroom and I'm sitting in my chair and we would be in a classroom setting and the teacher would say, hey, Charles, I need you to come on up to the front of the room because I need you to read this paragraph for me. The teacher knew I had a learning disability. The teacher knew I was dyslexic. So I don't know if she just wanted to embarrass me, humiliate me or what, but she would call me up to the front of the room and I literally would begin to try to read this paragraph and I'm like, I'm stuttering. I'm having a hard time reading. I'm just kind of fumbling my words a little bit. And in the middle of that, I could hear some of the kids and some of the students they begin to kind of chuckle and they begin to kind of laugh under their breath a little bit. And they, they begin to say things like, what's, what's wrong? Is, is he stupid or something? And I would go back to my seat. And then on, if that wasn't bad enough on a test day, the teacher would call me up and she'd say, hey, Charles, I need you to come on up to the front of the classroom. I need you to get your test so that you can go to the library so that the teacher can read you the test and you can tell her the answer. I'm telling you, this lady had it out for me. And so I would get up and I would grab my test. I would go to the library. I would give the librarian my test. She would have to read me the, the questions and I would have to verbally give her the answer. Well, so now walking around through school, I mean, you can only imagine in fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh grade. I mean, it's not the, 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 the hardest thing to pick on somebody that has something going on. And so I'm walking through class. I'm walking through the halls and, and I hear people saying, oh, they're stupid. They're, they're stupid. There he goes. He can't read. He has to have somebody read to him. Oh, there goes stupid. And you know, hearing something long enough, you begin to start to believe it. When somebody tells you something long enough, you're thinking to yourself, well, I guess I'm just stupid. 
And so I would begin to beat them to the punch. I would begin to just let them know, oh, oh yeah, man, I'm just stupid. Yeah, I can't read. Ha ha, joke's on me. And so I'm listening to what they're telling me, and then I begin to tell myself the same thing. This then brought me down a very dark road and a dark path. This was the beginning of my dark journey in life where I started hanging out with the wrong people, getting, getting associated with the wrong crowd. I began to go in and out of jails and rehabs. I was facing 17 years in prison at one point in my life. And it brought me down a very dark road because I believed the lie of the enemy saying that I was stupid. Oh, you just are the way you are. This is just who you are. You might as well accept it. You're never going to amount to anything. You're just, you're just going to be stupid. I believed this weakness. I believed what the enemy was trying to put in my heart. And I want to go back real quick because I believe this, this passage that I put in there this morning. In Ephesians 6, I just read it. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. See, the Bible doesn't say act strong. The Bible says be strong. And, and, and I think a lot of times we begin, to, we begin to go through life acting as if everything's okay. Acting as if we have it all together. Acting as if, man, everything is just everything. It's all good. We, we act better than we really are. You know, we hear a lot of times, man, just fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make it. I hate that. I hate that phrase. I hate that slogan. I want to punch somebody in the face that said it. Yeah, you know, just man, fake it till you make it. Now we have a lot of people walking through our lives, putting this mask on, putting this facade on. I'm just faking it until I make it. I'm faking it until I make it. Listen, it's okay to not be okay, but it's just not okay to stay that way. But for some reason, we have this mindset where we're just going to fake it until I make it. We post things on social media where we'll just copy and paste a scripture. And we put it on social media, acting acting as if we've got it all together. Oh man, I'm spiritually fit, I'm spiritually strong. And and we put this scripture on social media knowing we've never even read it. We just saw it, copy and paste. We put this family picture up. We're walking around doing life and we have our whole family picture up, our, our husband, our wife, our kids. And we show the whole world, oh man, look how great my family is. Look how amazing we are. Look how awesome we are. But the reality of that picture is, is you haven't talked in days and you've been fighting for months. Fake it till I make it. We go out and we buy all of this stuff. Man, I want to go and buy the cars. I want to go and buy the stuff. I want to buy the boats. I want to have the fun. I, I, I got to keep up with the Joneses. I can't let them know that we're financially struggling. I can't let the world know that I lost my job. I can't let the world know what's going on. So we're going to go buy, 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 buy. Take it till I make it. But the reality of all that is that we are drowning in debt and we can't even breathe. We're acting strong, but we're not really strong at all. See, I believe that being strong is understanding our weakness. 
I think being strong is understanding the mindset of I have an issue, I have a problem, man, I'm, I'm addicted to this or I'm struggling with that, man. I, 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 being strong is understanding our weakness. Being strong is saying, God, I need you to do something in my life. I need to be able to utilize some people around me in my close circles. I need, God, I need you to rip the roof off, take this lid off of my struggles. I don't want to fake it till I make it anymore. God, I want to receive your goodness and your power and your redemption. I need a little bit of help. Being strong is understanding our weakness. Being strong is saying, God, I know I don't have it all together. I know I'm struggling. So, man, I need, I need you to take this area of my life. But too many times when we're going through this struggle, too many times when we're going through all of these things, we can say the prayer. Come on, we know the prayer, man. We just throw up a Hail Mary. Lord, just catch this one. I hope this one's all right. God, I'm going to give it to you. And then all of a sudden, what begins to happen is God begins to answer your prayers. He begins to start going in and out of your life, in and out of your thoughts, in and out of your heart. He, he begins to kind of work his way like a fine surgeon. And the Holy Spirit begins to do something amazing in your life. He begins to reveal the things in your life that you have tucked away in those deep, darkest departments. And he begins to pinpoint the areas of your life that you need a healing in. And as soon as he begins to pinpoint those areas in your life, you're like, oh, not today, Jesus. No, 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 no. Not today. Or you can take anything you want. You can have anything but that. Or use me, guide me, direct me. Man, I, I will go to the opposite end of the earth for you. But Jesus, just not that and we begin to try and cover up our weakness we begin to try to hide it we begin to try to isolate ourselves from the very people who are trying to help you and as we begin to do that we say no God don't use that area but I'm telling you the whole time God is saying but that is the area of weakness I want to use because that is the area of weakness that can set other people free. Listen, I don't, I don't care who you are in here today, what age you are, what, 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 what nationality you are. I, it, it doesn't matter because every single one of us from a young child to an old adult, but every single one of us struggles with something. Maybe it's insecurity. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's fear. Some of us in here, maybe, maybe it's this addiction to something that we know we don't need to be watching or doing. Every one of us in this room, including myself, we struggle with something. But I'm telling you today, God wants to rip the roof off of the areas in your life so that you can begin to expose the weakness to him and he can begin to use the weakness for others. Today is the day. But we try to hide our weakness. And God is trying to use your weakness. I want you to know, man, you don't need to hide your weakness. 
You don't need to be embarrassed by your weakness. You don't need to run from your weakness because it's the very thing that God wants to use. You know, in Mark chapter 2, I think it paints a beautiful picture of what it means to bring your weakness to the feet of Jesus. In Mark chapter 2, I want to read this, and, and like I said earlier, I added some extra scripture to it, and so I want to read this passage to you, and then I kind of want to just tear it apart, rip it apart a little bit, if that's all right. Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 12, it says this, it says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard he had come home, and they had gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left not even outside the door. Now, I think this passage right here is pretty amazing because this is pre-social media, pre-Instagram, pre-Facebook, pre-TikTok. I think this was like smoke signal kind of stuff. I'm not sure. But here's Jesus, and, and, and some, some um, theologians and some people think that, that around this time in this house was actually Peter's home, and there was roughly around 5,000 people who gathered around this house. I don't know about you, but if you had 5,000 people show up to your house in your neighborhood, come on, they would have some really angry neighbors. But here's Jesus. He's walking into town, he's coming in, and the word begins to spread. It, it, it's, it's just an amazing picture to me that Jesus is so holy and so amazing that word just begins to fly like wildfires. I don't know how far people came in, but I can tell you it wasn't just the people nearby. And he preached the word to them in verse 3. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because, the crowd, uh, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the, man, uh, lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, everybody said their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And I love this in verse 12. He, said, he says, he got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now, it doesn't give a name, and it doesn't tell us how long this man has been, you know, like what his age is or anything like that. It just says this man that is paralyzed on a mat for, so for, 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 for our sake, I nicknamed the man Matty. Makes sense. Now, imagine with me. I'm a very visual learner, so when I read things, I like to try to incorporate myself into this scene. 
So imagine with me for a moment, there's this word that begins to get out and people are coming from all over to, to Peter's house, if that's what it is. They're coming from all over, every sinner, every person that has a weakness, all of these different people, including religious leaders. And all of these people are coming around, and here is this man by the name of Maddie who has been paralyzed for, since, you know, for years, and he's sitting down on a mat. I'm not sure if you can follow me. But here's Maddie. He's sitting on a mat. Minding his own business. And all he sees is just a bunch of foot traffic that is walking by him. And all he begins to hear is, oh, Jesus is coming to town. Jesus, the the guy that I've heard about, this this man that that, that, that heals people, that sets people free. This this guy that, that that can cure me, man, he's here. I've only heard about him. But now he's just right down the street. And so here's Maddie just on this mat watching traffic, watching people go by and probably thinking to himself, man, if I could just get to Jesus. If I could get to Jesus, man, he could make my whole life better. If I could get to Jesus, man, all things would be great. But I have no way of getting there. I don't have a wheelchair. I can't make my way to Jesus. And then, and then all of a sudden, the Bible says that there's these four men. Doesn't say they were family members. Doesn't say they were friends. Just these four guys. These four guys, they walk by and they look at Maddie. And they have this thought. Hey, he needs Jesus. They they have this thought, listen, I don't know, but it's something about our busy schedules in life. I believe it prevents us from us coming to Jesus, but also bringing other people to Jesus. But something so special about these four men. They're walking by and they take the time to look at Maddie and realize this man, this guy right here who is paralyzed, this guy. Man, we got to get him to Jesus. So what they did was they begin to pick Maddie up. And as they get Maddie and they pick him up, they lift him up, they're carrying him to the feet of Jesus. And they realize when they get to the house, whoa, <laughs> there's a party going on in here. It sounds like Mardi Gras on Bourbon Street. I'm just saying. There's a party. I don't know, Jesus, how you roll, but I can't get in. And so they try to get Maddie into the house. They realize, man, Maddie, it, we, we can't get you in the door. We, can, we can't even get you in the window. There's, it's just overflowing with people. And I love these friends. And I'm just going to go ahead and call them Cajuns. They're just a bunch of Cajuns. That's Boudreaux and Thibodeau right there all the way. Because they say to themselves, you know, man, we can't get you in the door. We can't get you in the window. <laughs> hey, Maddie, I got a, oh, we're going to get you there, dog. We're going to hoist you up on the roof. We're going to drop you in at the feet of Jesus. Maddie is paralyzed. Can you imagine his thoughts? You're going to do what? Bro, if you drop me, I can't catch myself. Like I'm like a limp noodle, just blap. I'm just going to fall off the roof. I'm just going to die. Just leave me in the streets, people. But these guys, these four friends, they were determined 
to get Maddie to the feet of Jesus. And so here they are, they hoist him up and they begin to dig through the roof. Like, listen, I need you to picture this image with me. There's these guys on a roof that is this straw mud roof with a paralyzed man up there. And they realize, okay, we're going to dig through the roof. We're going to rip the roof off so that we can lower your weakness down to the feet of Jesus. We're going to rip it off. Maddie, I know you don't know us very well, but I'm telling you today, this is the day that your healing and your redemption and your restoration, it's going to happen today because we're going to rip the roof off of this place. They rip the roof off and they lower the man to the feet of Jesus. I love it because when Jesus sees this man being lowered, now listen, he's talking like I'm talking. And all of a sudden, crumbles and straw hit him in the head. Yo, what the heck is going on up there? He sees a hand pulling the straw and the roof back. He sees a head pop in. Yo, Jesus! Excuse me, guys. Got a situation up here. And they lower him to the feet of Jesus. When Jesus saw that, the Bible's very clear. That when Jesus saw that, he looks at the men. And he says, hey, not because of your faith, but because of their faith. Maddie, not because, that you're, not because you're here in front of me today, not because you just said you wanted to come, not because of your faith, but because of their faith, you were healed. Now we read through passage and we, and we realize and we understand that there's this uproar and there's these religious leaders and all of these different people that are saying, man, you can't do that. You, you can't do that. I love a religious person. Whenever God moves, they're like, no, 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 time out. That's not the system. It's not how it works. Listen, God works how he wants to work. He can rip the roof off, drop the man in front of him and poof, it's done. If he wants to use a donkey, he'll use a donkey. But, but here he is, man, he's, he's having this uproar, these religious people all over the place, man, they're trying to stop him from doing something amazing. And I, this is what I love about this passage. Maddie, Maddie sits there, and Jesus, let's go back to, to verse 11. And he says this, he says, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Maddie got up, took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. Listen, this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying that we have never seen anything like this. I'm here to tell you today, guys, that Jesus wants to use your weakness to set other people free. This was an image, this was something that they have never seen, that this man who has been paralyzed for years, he gets up and he rolls his mat up and he walks away. There are some of us in this room today where God is saying, listen, I need you to use your mat. I need you to use your weakness. I need you to let me in. I want to rip the roof off of this thing because there is a neighbor, there is a husband, there is a wife, there is a brother, a sister, a co-worker that needs to know your story. He's telling you to roll your mat up. 
He's saying, no, this is what I'm asking you to do, man. Roll your mat up. And we say, oh, but God, you don't know about my mat. You don't know the wounds. You don't know the scars. You don't know the tears about this mat. You don't know what I went through with this mat. But God is saying, yes, yes, I do. Don't hide your mat. Don't seclude your mat. Give me your weakness so that I can use it. So how do you rip the roof off of your weakness? How do we begin to go through life? Going through struggles and marital issues and financial issues and depression and anxiety. How do we begin to go through our life and say, God, I need you to rip this roof off. I I, I don't want to cover it any longer. I don't want to conceal it any longer, but I want to rip this roof off. My first point is this, is that your weakness is allowed. Your weakness is allowed. In God's kingdom, your weakness is allowed. Listen, a lot of people try to disqualify you. There's a lot of people in life that will, they will label you because of what you did. There's a lot of people in life that will say, oh, you will never amount to anything. Do you remember what you did 10 years ago? And they try to put this condemnation on you. I'm telling you right now, that is an evil scheme. That's the devil's work. If somebody's doing that to you, they are not of God. Because here's the thing, the enemy comes to entice and then accuse. He entices us one way and he said, oh, listen, man, it's a rough day, it's a rough year, your marriage is going south. I mean, you might as well go out and and chat a little bit or flirt a little bit, man, it's just a hard situation. You might as well go and buy something because you feel lonely, you feel depressed. You might as well go hang out at the bar. You might as well just go indulge in it. It's okay. Everybody's doing it. We look around and we think, you know what? Everybody is doing it. It's all over TV. It's all over the commercials. I mean, might as well. I mean, what harm can it do? And we jump off and we indulge in this, this sin, this thing that the enemy tries to do. And as soon as we do that, he comes right around on the other side and he begins to condemn you and say, I can't believe you did that. Can you believe that you did such a thing? How do you think that God is ever going to love you? How do you think God is ever going to forgive you? I'm telling you, condemnation is not of God. Conviction, yes. Condemnation, no. I want you to know today that there's going to be people in your life that try to label you based off of something that you did, but that's not who you are. Your past, your mistake, that's not your identity. It's a weakness, it's a fault, but it's something that God wants to use to help restore hope and build futures for somebody else. Your weakness is allowed in the kingdom of God. Listen, your weakness is allowed here at this church. Your addiction is allowed. Your anxiety is allowed. Your fear is allowed. Your depression is allowed. Your eating disorders are allowed. Whatever it is that you are dealing with, your mistakes, your failures, your hurt, your pain, all of 
of those things are allowed in the kingdom of God and it is allowed here. You have a pastor who loves you. You have a team who wants to rally around you. Why? Because they want to help you be able to understand that your weakness can be used to glorify God and to reach other people all around this country. Everywhere in Mount Joy. I believe that if we begin to start getting authentic and we begin to start opening up, I believe just like in this passage, the doors and the people in this place, you won't be able to contain it. Why? Because they are going to be able to relate with you. Oh, I'm not going through this alone. I'm not the only one dealing with this. I'm not the only one with this struggle. I'm not the only one with this mess. Oh, I can relate with the people in Mount Joy. They can help me through my weakness. They can rip the roof off of me trying to cover it up. They can come around me and help me experience all that God wants for my life. Sign me up. I believe that there is something inside of each and every one of us that if we are just willing to say, God, use me. Take it, take the sin, take the shame, take it all. Listen, I'm not excited and proud of what I did in my past. I wish I would have never done it. There's things that I haven't even exposed and, and revealed to you, but there's some things in my past I wish I would have never done. But God is using that today. Where I get to communicate with families and married couples and help them through their struggles because I went through it. People who are addicted because I went through it. People who are in prison and rehabs because I went through it. People that are suicidal because I went through it. When you say, God, take my weakness. Take my past. Take my pain. Take my hurt. Take my suffering. And use it to glorify you. We won't even be able to understand what God wants to do. Second thing is this, and if you don't hear anything else, hear this. The second thing is that your weakness can be used. It can be used. I mean, can I just, just be transparent now, real quick? For so many years in my life, I felt ashamed. I hated myself, and I hated what I did. But there was a breakthrough moment, very similar to this. There was a breakthrough moment where I was no longer embarrassed by what I did. And for the sake of my kids being in the room, I'm not going to get into it, but I, I made some very poor choices in life with my ex-wife. Fill in the blank. Ashamed, broken, hurt, embarrassed. And it was this place in my life where I thought to myself, you know what, it's, 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 might as well just end it all. Might as well just, just, just end it all. I mean, what, what's the point anymore? God, I mean, I, I lost it all. I lost my family. I've lost everything that I've desired. I, I, I lost it all, God. I mean, what is the point? And I was so sad and I was so broken. And I was so ashamed. I literally was getting up to go and end it. But God. But God, God spoke to me through a golf ball, random. And I remember finding this golf ball. And if you ever know the history about a golf ball, you, you, you kind of know uh, how it ends up in the, the, the divots and everything. But the history of a golf ball, it, it used to be smooth. So when golf started, it was a smooth ball. 
And every time it would hit a tree, it would get a nick. Every time it hit a tree, it'd get another nick. Every time it hit a tree, it'd get another nick. And they realized that the more nicks that were in this golf ball, the further the golf ball was going. So they realized, okay, well, let's put some dimples in this thing so it would become this aerodynamic ball and it can take it further, it can do all these things. And, and I heard this message about a golf ball and I pray that this message sticks with you today because maybe it'll be the same thing that saved your life. And I'm sitting there in this field and I'm getting up to go and end it. Wrote it all out, I was ready to go. And in this random field, it would be like sitting in the cornfield over there. There's no golf course. There's this random field, and I'm walking, I'm crying, and I look down, and I see this golf ball. I still have it today. I pick this golf ball up, and I've never felt something so clear in my life where the Holy Spirit says, Charles, just like this golf ball, I am going to take you, I'm going to clean you up, I'm going to make you whole again, and I will take you further than you've ever been before. Had I ended it, I wouldn't be here today. Had I ended it, I wouldn't be pastoring a church in Florida. Had I ended it, I wouldn't have been able to speak to thousands of people in Africa and Central America and all these other places that I've been able to go. Had I ended it, that was it. You would have remembered me as that. But today I want you to know that God does not look down upon you because of a mistake or a weakness. He actually looks down upon you saying, you know what? I've got you. And the very thing that you're struggling with today is going to be the very thing that sets other people free. How do I know this is correct? How do I know this is true? How do I know that God smiles down on people with imperfections? And how do I know that God uses people that have faults and failures? It's all throughout the Bible. Listen, Abraham was old. Elijah was suicidal. Joseph was abusive. Job went bankrupt. Moses had, Moses had a speech problem. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Noah was a drunk. Jeremiah was young. Jacob was a cheater. David was a murderer. Jonah ran from God. Peter denied Christ three times. Martha worried about everything. Zacchaeus was a short and money-hungry guy. The disciples, they fell asleep while praying with Jesus. Paul was a Pharisee who persecuted Christians before he converted. And Pastor Charles was an addicted, drug, alcoholic, liar, manipulator, adulterer, and many other things. How do I know that Jesus restores people? It's all in the Bible. Everywhere. Everything that we read, if we can just take our minds off of this almighty God who is ready to throw a lightning bolt at you and realize that's not God. And I'm sorry if you've ever experienced somebody on a street corner that is telling you that you're going to hell because of something you wore. They're not Jesus. Jesus is love. Yes, he hits you with truth, but he also hits you with grace. It's grace and truth. It's love and correction. How do I know these things? We have to be willing to offer up our weakness so that he can correct it and then use it. He loves you. And if, I don't, and if I don't say anything else to you guys today, know this, that you need to leave these doors today knowing that your heavenly Father, that Jesus, that he desires your heart. 
He desires you. He can care less about your mess. I say it in our church all the time. I don't care about what you're going through. I don't care about your mess. I don't care about your issues. I care about your potential. There's gold inside of every filth. There's something inside of every single human being. We have to be able to be the ones to pull it out of them. Today is the day where Jesus is wanting to rip the roof off of your covering. Jesus doesn't sit you on the sidelines because of your weakness. God calls you into your war with your weakness. And as we close today, I'm not really sure how you normally do this, but I just, I'm not going to call anybody up here or anything like that. I just want to pray with you. And as we close today, I want to encourage you. As I begin to pray and the Holy Spirit begins to move, which I already know he is. And he's pinpointing areas, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your personal being, whatever the case may be. He's he's starting to surgically move through your life. And he is pinpointing areas that you need to begin to release to him. I want to encourage you. He's not here to hate you. He's not here to blast you. He's here to love you. And he's here to help you. Come on, why don't you close your eyes with me. Father, I thank you every single person in this room. I thank you for who they are. I thank you for their life.